under the Egypts. All right, so please turn in your Bibles, if you're not already there, to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. And let's start out by reading what we're going to be covering. Um, In Acts chapter 16 and verse 10, we're going to start there and then go into the verses that we're going to be going over. All right, so verse 10, it says, And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas... We made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed on us. Oh, Father, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask that your spirit would move amongst us giving us understanding, Lord, stirring us up, and even opening up our ears. Just as what you did with Lydia, I pray that you would do with us this morning. That you would help us to pay attention. Lord, your word tells us to be careful to hear. I pray, Lord, that we would lean forward, incline toward you, our ear, and our heart. Lord, open to truly heed what you have to say to us. Lord, that we would be followers of Jesus Christ, who are not fair-weather followers. But Lord, we would understand that in our walks with you, there will be times like this where we will see all kinds of things happening that are favorable but then other times, too, that you allow. That are tribulations, that are trials. That are used by you to set us up for other things that you have for us and to prepare us for them. And so I pray, Lord, that as Job said, we take the good with the bad and everything in between. Lord, for you are God. And all things work together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And so it is with that perspective that we commit our times to this, our, our very hearts to this time of study. We ask your blessing and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I must say that over the course of the years that I've been involved in ministry, that ministry is truly Amazing. Nothing can compare to ministry. I've done many things. I've experienced many things. I've gone to many places, but nothing, nothing comes close to ministry. 
not close. Ministry truly is amazing. There hasn't been much in my life that I haven't gotten tired of doing at some point or another. Ministry is at the top of the list of things I have not gotten tired of doing. But I must tell you that I have been surprised of what comes up in ministry. It's truly not static. It is dynamic in every way. I remember when I first started serving the Lord, how I thought I was serving in the perfect environment with the perfect people. Because we, you're laughing because perhaps, you know, right? Why? Because we're all serving our holy and righteous God. Well, I, I knew the people weren't perfect. I, I wasn't perfect, right? No one's perfect. But rather, we were all striving for perfection, holiness, and righteousness. And we all, I hope, had good intentions of glorifying the Lord. But the first time I realized and was reminded that people ain't perfect. And people, no matter where or who, will make mistakes and People sometimes act in self-centered, prideful ways. And it was at that time that I sobered up. I didn't want to sober up. But, you know, you want to stay in that place, right? You, you, you want to stay in the place to where it's like... You guys know what I'm talking about? Some, some of you may, right? You're, you're in church and, and, and you're serving for the first time. You're asked to serve and... You think, man, this is so incredible and how, how full of like just joy and happiness. And, and, and like I remember we could not wait to come. It's like we're a, a part of something that's way beyond us. And, and I can't believe that we're serving the Lord. It's just that feeling of just like you're in this wonderful, wonderful place. And we are. We truly are. But at the point that I saw things, just people are people, right? It made me stop and think. It brought me back down to earth and it gave me pause for a thought. It just made me think. It really put me at a crossroads. What was I going to do? Was I going to choose to continue or was I going to choose to stop, to quit, to go in a different direction? Because I remember at that point, I still had options. I, I, I knew that there were other things. You know, there's, there's always a way out. There's always something else that you can do. There really is. And it was at that time that I had to make a choice. Do I continue to serve the Lord even though I'm facing difficulties within my service to the Lord? Or do I give up and walk away? I am so glad I had come to know that God's love was so amazing toward me. That there was no way I was giving up on serving him because of others. Or difficult circumstances. Or anything else. I had tasted 
And I had seen that the Lord is good. His grace is truly amazing. His love that he extended toward me transcends any person or any circumstance that I could be faced with. I had come to know his love, his grace, his mercy, most of all, his forgiveness. And I was only serving the Lord Christ Jesus. You could say that there are times when it's good to have tunnel vision. To be so focused on the Lord that his face is all that you see. His hope is all that you know. And you are willing to walk hand in hand with him. And sometimes allow him to carry you. You see, last week, Paul and company were continuing on their second missionary trip. They're being guided by God in every way, is what we learned last week, to people, to bring the good news to people, and to just the right places, wherever it is that God chose. But the question that we ought to ask ourselves is, what does that include? What does that encompass? Because Jesus wanted to prepare his disciples to handle opposition. He prepared them very well. He prepares in the same way you and me. In facing opposition, trials, tribulation, persecutions, even imprisonments, even being beaten, even being left on an island called Patmos in the Asian Sea, which is the very sea that Paul in, in Timothy and Luke and in, in Silas and all of them had crossed from Troas to go to Philippi, as we are reading about this morning. Jesus wanted to prepare his disciples to handle opposition, and it's the same thing for us today. He wants to prepare us to be people, followers of the Lord, that handle opposition well. Difficult circumstances, mobs of people, authorities even, and judges who would come against them, and people who were personally attacking their work. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16. Jesus, as he's sending out the 12 apostles, has this to say to them. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. 
but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Those are words that we must take into account. We need to realize that when we're faced with tribulation, when we're faced with these types of persecutions, that we need not lose heart. For our Lord, our God has overcome. When God leads you down a path that allows these types of things, the question for us is, what will you do? How will you respond? How you respond will be determined by why you're living for the reason and the reason why you're serving the Lord to begin with. That's what will determine whether you quit and go in a different direction and stop altogether or whether you'll continue to walk with the Lord, serve the Lord. Uh, One set of people will blame the Lord and the other group of people will cling to the Lord. There's nothing really in between. If you're doing it for yourself, then you'll turn away. But if you're doing it because God has sacrificed his son to forgive you of your sins, sins and give you hope, the hope of heaven and your very life eternally, knowing that it belongs ultimately to him then nothing will cause you to turn away from living for him and serving him because you will say to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because he first loved me, I will love him wherever he sends me and in whatever circumstances I find myself in. That's the life of a man or a woman who is at complete peace with God. No matter what, it's a win-win It's that person that really doesn't have a fear of anything or anyone. Because if you have the fear of God, then you will never have the fear of man or anything else. It just won't exist. It cannot exist in the person who has complete and perfect fear of God. Because he first loved me. Three things we're going to take a look at. Number one, in verses 11 through 15, the joy of salvation We also have the annoyance of distractions. And thirdly, the reality of persecution. Again, the joy of salvation as we take a look once more at verses 11 through 15. It says, so setting sail from Troas, which is on the western coast of of, uh, Asia... Uh, Paul and company set sail across to Samothrace, which is a small island in the middle of the Asian Sea, and then continued on to Neapolis and on to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We, We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. 
The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So the whole reason, as we as we read, the whole reason why Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke sailed from Troas to Philippi, stopping in Samothrace and, and then going on from there to Neapolis and then on to Philippi, was because they had concluded that God had called them to preach the gospel in Macedonia. And so they went. We know that they made great time. Taking, they, it only took them two days to get across the Asian Sea. Uh, there were other times when they were sailing across that it took them five days to cross. But on this occasion, just two days, and they were there. Philippi, we need to understand, was a major port city. It was filled with commerce. There was much that was happening there. there was, it was a, a hub city to where many people came in and out of that city. The marketplace was wonderful. It was great. It was busting at the seams with people who were coming in and out, selling and trading goods. And, and so it was just it was a busy city, Philippi. And this would be a perfect city from which the gospel could travel all over the world by people who would be converted to, Christ, to, to being Christ followers there in that city. One person from somewhere else could come, become a Christian, and then take their faith back to wherever it is that they came from. It made me think of how refuge, this little church in Riverside, California, has been allowed to minister to so many people. And now there are many people, even today, perhaps even online right now, that are being, being ministered to in other parts of the country and even the world. I can think of Texas and Tennessee, Ohio, Nevada, Arizona, Virginia, Illinois, and many, many more. Even locations outside of the U.S., Haiti, Thailand, Romania, Spain, and many more. I remember talking with uh, someone online that was in South America and, uh, and just wanted to express to us that they were blessed by the ministry. It just, it's encouraging. And I want to encourage you that, that by and through the work that the Lord is doing here, there are others who are being ministered to and many people who are being impacted. And so you never know, stay the course in the very work that you're given to, to glorify the Lord and spread the gospel is to really the blessing of the church, but it's to the glory of God. Well, Paul and his missionary uh, team stayed there in Philippi for, it says there's some days, and we know the purpose of their visit there to Macedonia was to preach the gospel. And we know that the desire and goal of preaching the gospel is to see people come to Christ, right? For we know that God desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so for us, we don't preach the gospel just to like, yeah, you know, we want to do it. And uh, not see any fruit come from it. We want to see people come to the Lord. We want to see people surrender their hearts to Jesus Christ. And know forgiveness just as we have. 
it seems Paul thought the riverside, outside the city, would be the best place to find people who were open to the things of God. And so they went to the place of prayer. I, I find it interesting that they didn't go to the mall. They, they didn't go to the marketplace. They didn't go to the place where, like, hordes of people would be. They, they didn't go there. I thought, well, that's interesting, you know. For us, always, you know, what, what our thoughts are, well, let's go, to the, let's go to downtown. Let's go to the places where there are a lot of people, and perhaps there we have the greatest opportunity to lead someone to Christ. Well, they didn't choose that. That's not the place where they were led. And I found that interesting. Why they would do that, why the Lord had them go there and not to the marketplace, I don't know. But we do know that Paul made it a point to, oftentimes when he went into a city and there was a synagogue there, that he would go into the synagogue. Now, a synagogue would, be, would come together if there were 10 or more Jewish men in that city. And then that would constitute synagogue. But it's believed that there were so few Jews living in the city of Philippi that they couldn't even gather together enough men to have synagogue. And so they decided to go to the riverside and, and there they thought perhaps this was a, a place where People would be praying, and they went. Paul and the team sat down at the women's prayer meeting, you could say, and they spoke to the women. But there was a particular woman who was singled out. She was noted for her attentiveness to the things that Paul was saying. Her name is Lydia, and she was a woman from Thyatira. Now, she was not from Macedonia, she was not from that area, which Macedonia today, you, you take a look at Greece, you have Italy, and then you have Greece, and uh, it's in the northern part of Greece. That's the, the region of the world that we're speaking of. She was not from that area. She was from what we would know today to be Turkey. She was from that area, Thyatira. Lydia was a businesswoman who sold luxurious products and was wealthy, and she was a worshiper of God. That's how she's described. But, like many other people, she may be a worshiper of God. But her worship was without a full, a complete understanding of who God truly was and is. Many people like that today. Very, you could say people who are spiritual or, yeah, they, they love God, but, but it's with a limited amount of understanding or knowledge of really who God is. Well, Paul explained the gospel and the Lord opened her heart. Notice that that was the work of the Lord. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by the apostle Paul. Isn't it amazing that when we tell others the good news of Jesus Christ? Check this out. We are co-laborers with Christ in that very moment. That just, that, that's got to just blow your mind. That's like when you start to speak, when you start to tell someone else about Jesus Christ, the Lord is right there with you. 
The Lord desires to open up everyone's ears and hearts so that they may listen to what you're telling them. I believe the Lord is doing that very same thing right now. I believe, I truly believe that I'm co-laboring with the Lord. And as I speak, He's desiring to open up your heart to pay attention. Sometimes, even in that place, we reject that work. There's a work that's being done here, and it's coming from the pulpit. But there's a work that's being done right where you are. The Holy Spirit is convicting you. He's, um, He's giving you understanding. He's teaching you the things that are coming across. He's perhaps reminding you of things that you ought to repent of. He's strengthening you in different places, purifying you. He, he's doing so much work. But we could be so wrapped up in ourselves that we miss that work. I hope you're not rejecting his work to open up your heart to listen and listen well. Well, Lydia and her household were saved and baptized as we saw here. And it says here that immediately Lydia desired to host Paul and the whole missionary team. She urged them, is what we see here. It's described as Lydia immediately, she invited him over to her house and said, you are going to stay at my house. There's no way you're going anywhere else. And she urged him and she even told him, hey, listen, and she was a good saleswoman, right? She said, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, right? Oh, (laughs) there. There you go, Lydia. You're selling us on this. And it was a good sell because they they did. They saw that she was faithful. She said, come to my house and stay. And of course, it says here that she prevailed upon them. So she offered her home. She opened it up. They came. How exciting. You know, this whole situation. You know, as they went, uh, it it says here that they, they went right away to the riverside. They saw this prayer meeting. Um, they started speaking to the women. Paul proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lydia paid attention and she responded to the gospel. Her and her entire household came to faith. It's like Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke were like, yes, we knew we were called to Macedonia. And here's evidence of it right here. Look at what's happening. How exciting. This is the first Christian convert in Europe. I guess the man who Paul had seen in the vision only served to draw them over, but wasn't the first one that they were going to lead to Christ. It wasn't a man, it was a woman. Well, if this is an example of how things are going to go in Macedonia, then sign me up and let's keep going. And so after this, Paul and the men kept going to the place of prayer to tell more people about Jesus Christ. Day in and day out, that's exactly what they were doing. But then there's the annoyance of distractions. Verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, quote, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way 
of salvation, close quote. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. This girl was demon-possessed. The demonic powers that she was given served to fool people and deceive them out of their money. She was a source of money for her handlers. You could say that she was pimped out. And there were several that were benefiting from her powers, what she was able to do. Uh, This demon-possessed slave girl followed Paul and the team every day, publicly declaring the truth of who these men were. These men, these men are servants of the Most High. Is that not true? Of course it's true, right? So the question is, why did Paul get so annoyed by this girl's declaration of something that wasn't true? (laughs) I mean, Paul got annoyed, right? Like, I'm done with this girl. It's, it's kind of, you know, it's one of those moments to where you look at Paul and you're like, oh, yeah, that he, he was done. His, he's like had it up to here. But she was giving them free advertising, wasn't she? Free advertising. She was, she was proclaiming the truth. Well, it seems a source of commendation is very important. Some people may say, well, have grace on her. It doesn't matter where it comes from, right? Just let her speak her mind. You know, it's true. So just take it, receive it. Remember that Jesus commanded demons to be silent, even when they were telling the truth. We know that to be true in Matthew chapter 8 and Mark chapter 11 or 3. It matters who endorses you, who approves of you, who is at your side. It matters. Um, There are many people in organizations that I would um, really think twice about myself if they endorse me. There are certain people like Joel Osteen, if, if he embraced me and he loved everything that I preached and, 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 and all that, I, I would, I'd kind of wonder where I was at personally. If someone like Bill Johnson of Bethel would endorse me in the things happening here within refuge, knowing that this is a false teacher, I, I would second-guess myself. I'd have to go back to the Lord and ask him, what am I doing wrong that this man is endorsing me? It matters who endorses you. It matters who approves of you and who is on your side. Turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. In verse 18.
He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you, ever, you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the, world, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also, also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. This was the Lord, again, speaking to his disciples, warning them. Also turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Again, John writes in verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so again, we ought to, we, we can't cling to this world and we can't look, friendship with the world, by the way, is enmity with God, is what James writes, correct? And so therefore we need to be very careful who endorses us, who approves of us, who gives us their recommendation, who commends us. You know, even you, 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 are, you are careful to recommend only those who you trust, right? And so it is for those who would trust you that they would give you their recommendation. It matters. Well, the slave girl was actually a distraction to the message of the gospel. She was cheapening the message by her endorsement of it. She was mocking God's work, being filled with demons. And at this point, Paul was just absolutely fed up. When people who are not walking right with God and yet proclaim the gospel, they cheapen it. And lead people to think that the gospel and salvation is something that it's not. It leads people down a path of deception, is what it does. And so Paul turned to the girl and said to the demon, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Simple words. It's not in his power, it was in the power of Jesus Christ himself. And so it was at that very hour that it came out of her. Immediately the demon left the girl. Success, right? The girl is no longer demon-possessed. Uh, by the way, this happens in churches today. This, this very situation, it happens in churches today. There are people who will praise the pastor and even the leadership and declare to all that they are servants of the Most High. But then turn around and do the work of Satan the next moment by causing division, deception, and distract from the work of the gospel by pu pulling people away from what glorifies the Lord to themselves and lead them to believe things that are untrue. It happens today. I, I wish it didn't happen today, but it, it happens today. This very thing happens today. The circumstance wasn't favorable, but it was to be expected. As Jesus had warned that his disciples would face tribulation and opposition and, and even be hated. He told them, they're going to hate you for my sake. Paul was prepared. 
and he acted. The girl was liberated of the demon, but this posed other problems for Paul, Silas, Luke, and Timothy. The reality of persecution. Verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Well, Paul and his team had been in Philippi for some days, really without incident up to this point. It seems that no one had disturbed uh, their activities and they disturbed no one of their activities up to this point. Hey, but when it impacted their income, watch out. They were aggressively confronted, arrested for delivering a girl from being possessed by a demon, and they were dragged before the magistrate to be judged, only to be accused of, quote-unquote, disturbing the city. It's obvious that the men who accosted and arrested Paul and Silas didn't think that they were Roman citizens. They looked at, they looked at Paul, and they looked at Silas, and they were obviously Jews. But we have Luke. Luke, was he a Jew? No, he was a Gentile. And then there's Timothy. Well, his father's a Greek, his mom is a Jew, and so they looked at Paul and Silas, and these were two Jews come with us, dragged them before the judge. You see, Roman citizens had civil rights of which Paul and Silas were not afforded, evidenced by the way they were treated and accused. These men were indignant. They were beside themselves. They were out of their minds with anger because Paul had disturbed their source of money and were going to make sure he didn't do it again. There's no way. There are people who you may have come across this who are so angry because you expose certain things that they will go to great lengths to shut you up, to censor you, stop talking. They will try to strike fear into your very heart so that you'll just become mute. It's the very same thing that's, ha- that's happening here in Philippi. The people agreed with the accusers and the mob acted like a mob and attacked Paul and Silas. The crowd attacked them and the authorities ripped their clothes off of them. Can you imagine this? Just imagine the scene. Here was Paul and Silas. You know, one day they were seeing things happen, the Lord moving, people coming to faith. In the next moment, they're being wrongly accused of things that they weren't guilty of. They were dragged before the judge. And then all of a sudden, everyone turned on them. They even had their clothes ripped off of them. And then the judge said, beat them. They were beat. And then he tells them, throw them into the prison. Wow, how things turned. 
But Paul and Barnabas weren't just thrown into a holding cell. You could say that they were held in maximum security. And in stocks. This isn't just like, you know how you know, people break the law and you know, they're in cuffs and they complain about how tight the cuffs are. Not that I've ever experienced that, but I know of people that perhaps have. Well, don't cry. Because it wasn't just that. Their feet were in stocks. They were, they were bound. And they had personal guards. The judge wanted to make sure that there was no way that they were getting out. Paul and Silas. Oh, these were bad people. Proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people were turning to the Lord. Is this what they deserved? Listen, let's, let's, come, back, let's, let's come back to just thinking personally. On, on our level right here. Is this what they deserved? Is this what God allows his servants to endure? You understand my line of questioning? Because we do that all the time. Why would a God so good allow this to happen to his people that he sent to Macedonia to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why would he? He's a good God. Why is he doing this? Why would he allow this? Did God abandon his servants? Hey, Paul, maybe you didn't hear right. You sure the vision was for Macedonia? Because here we are, bound, in prison. We were just beaten, and we have no clothes on. This, is, this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't what, what we wanted, right? Is this what the Lord wants? What's your trial? What are you going through? All of these questions are familiar to many people who face difficult circumstances. If this was where the story ended, then perhaps we could make a good case for asking these questions, but then not again, but perhaps. But it's not the end of the story. And our circumstances of difficulties are never the end of the story. Back in Genesis, Joseph knew that what his brothers meant for evil, God meant for good, that many would be saved through the time of famine, especially for the nation of Israel, that they would be saved, according to Genesis 50, verse 20. What Joseph endured wasn't pleasant at times, but what God fulfilled through Joseph was what was needed to happen, God's will. In John chapter 16, verse 33, it says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, Paul was just as much of a co-laborer with the Lord when he was preaching and Lydia was paying attention to the gospel as he is now in prison and in chains. God hasn't left Paul. He hasn't left you either. Reality is that a child of God will face trials, but that doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. 
My brother, encountered all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. When you get to the point to where you understand you lack nothing at any given time, you understand that the Lord Jesus is your all in all. He is everything. He is with you. When he said he'll never leave you nor forsake you, he meant it. He means it. He will follow through with that. The joy of salvation, the annoyance of distractions, the reality of persecutions. Before we close, I want to take us back to Matthew chapter 10. We read up to verse 25, and I just want to read the rest of this portion up to verse 33 because it speaks so well to us today and to this whole situation with Paul and Silas. Matthew chapter 10, verse 26, it says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, Proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men... I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Well, he wasn't denied. He was proclaimed from the rooftops. What they heard whispered to him, they declared to all. When God leads you down a path that allows these types of things to happen, again, what will you do? Because how you respond will be determined by why you're living for and serving the Lord to begin with. Remember, he first loved you. And that's how we learn to love. I will serve him my whole life. My demonstration of my love for him will impact people around me. That's our declaration and that's what we can stand on. We know that to be true. To either trust him or not trust him. The impact of your life will determine by what you decide, even this morning. Will you deny him? Or will you confess him to the world around you, no matter what comes your way? Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear that our hearts would be open to you and that we would realize just how much you love us and that you demonstrated your love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I pray for anyone who's here who does not know salvation, that they simply know that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. I have no doubt That this is the very message. These are the very things that Lydia heard 
in that place in Philippi. And she responded. I pray, Lord, that that anyone who is not saved here that would come to that place right now and simply in their private place in that one chair that they're sitting in, that as you've opened up their hearts to understand that they completely surrender to you, asking you for forgiveness, asking you to be Lord and Savior, and that they would know the hope of heaven today and for all eternity in this moment of surrender. I pray for the church, Lord, that you would help us to be strong that you would help us to endure in tough times through difficult circumstances. That we may glorify you. And just as we will find out, we will read about, we will come to know that even Paul and Silas in, in, in prison, Lord, they had a joy within them that nothing and no one could take away. Oh, Lord, let us come to know that joy. That we may also Stand fast in the truth. And Lord, remain in that hope that you've given to us because you will see us all the way to the end. We thank you, Father, for your love. And we pray this all in Jesus' name.